0: You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena and pastor of Christ the King University Parish in Missoula, Montana. It's a really interesting Buddhist monk who recently went viral for what he calls the five hindrances to self-mastery. He tells the story of a man who was born into a village below a great mountain, and every day he looks upon the snowy peak with sort of desire in his heart. And yet, he shrinks from the idea of climbing it. Finally, one day, he resolves himself, sets out, circling the base of the mountain, looking for a route up to the top. And sees a woman coming down and goes up and asks her about her experience of climbing the mountain and what she saw from the top. She describes a sort of harrowing and beautiful, suffer-fast, a, a true tale of perseverance. He decides that's not the route for him, so he keeps walking. And comes to an old man descending a different portion of the mountain and asks him the same questions. You know, How, how was the journey, and what did you see from the top? His route too, though spectacular, was a terrible and treacherous journey. So he, he keeps walking and ends up, as he circles the base of the mountain, he speaks to 30 different people about their journeys up to the top of this mountain. And though different, they're all arduous and and extraordinary. And So after all that time, man decides he's talked to so many people, he's accumulated so much wisdom in one sense, uh, that he doesn't even need to make the journey. Uh, And he just goes home. And in many ways, life is that mountain. And so many live as spectators of life and not adventurers. The five hindrances that he speaks to are what we must master in order to climb the mountain. And he, he says, he calls them sensual desire, ill will, dullness, restlessness, and spectacle, or skeptical doubt. We can all sort of relate to those different uh, desires, those hindrances in our lives. Now, look at this from a different angle. I was, I was recently listening to a popular podcaster and, and comedian. His name is Joe Rogan, and you might know who he is. He's actually, in, interestingly, the most listened-to person in the entire world uh, on, a, on a weekly basis. He said he didn't believe in God, but he obviously didn't know whether God exists. You can't know that God doesn't exist. And he tells his kids to live as though God exists because it'll make you a better person. So that's kind of his strategy. And it's interesting because it's like, so you're going to live as God tells you to live, without God. And it might seem kind of weird for us, but there's a psychologist, and sociologist, Jonathan Haidt. He, he speaks to this basic, universal desire for the transcendent within human beings. That through all ages, that's always been a desire that we've had. And the fact that maybe fewer today people today are identifying with formal religion is almost irrelevant because of the fact that those same people still identify as sort of spiritual. So they still seek the transcendent. So it's not as though fewer people are are believing in the spiritual world. It's just that they're sort of acting it out in different ways. They're trying to do the same thing without God. So why is it then? Why has that shift happened? Why have so many in the west left the Church, though we still have this persistent desire for what exactly what the Church offers. You know, Perhaps it's harder to be a Catholic today. It's not as culturally acceptable as it used to be. And it's hard to defend the Church in some ways because of the corruption within it. It might feel outdated, or it might be, feel too radical. Perhaps it's too demanding on our lives. We don't have time for it. Some say it's the opiate of the masses. Some also say that it's the cause of all wars. You might think, oh, it's effeminate. As a man, I can't relate. Or it's too patriarchal. As a woman, I can't relate. Or it's too abstract. How are we supposed to understand what Father's talking about? Uh, Or it's it's just a giant bureaucracy and a really inefficient social work organization. I mean, a million reasons we could have in our hearts. Or a million reasons someone could have to try and walk away. What have we attempted then, if that desire is still there, to take its place? You already see in our our culture, as it grows more secular, it simultaneously takes on sort of religious overtones, uh, that the secular culture itself is becoming its sort of own religion. And unfortunately, one of the worst kinds of religions. What do we do about this as Christians? You know, Is the project of the church in the West doomed? is some sort of secular humanism where we try to live like we have God without God, is that the only option left? I actually think the opposite. I think that is a dead game. I don't think it's possible. It's either God or nothing. There's no middle road. You know, if we look back at the Israelites, in their early history, we see something really odd and interesting. It's, it's totally unique in the history of the world. They had this sophisticated, complex beautiful law. But they have no king. So there's no one, in a sense, enforcing that law. It was the law that guided them, and through God, and through it, God was their king. And yet they looked around at the world, and they saw these great empires, greater empires than they, by far. And they saw these great rulers that ruled over these empires, and so they demanded to look like that. God relented. He gave them a king. And of course, there were a few... Good kings in the history of Israel but for the most part you could say they were mediocre to downright corrupt and so as the result Israel began to look more and more like the rest of the world how does God fix this mess how does he write this cycle how does he make right this thing that he's sort of allowed Jesus Christ himself comes so we hear in the first reading from Daniel that the son of man would come and receive dominion glory kingship All peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. And yet when Jesus comes, that's not really what it looks like at first. Uh, He doesn't seem to follow the road that Daniel seems to be laying out. You know, the Jewish people assumed the obvious interpretation of that passage, that the Messiah would come and he'd free them from Roman oppression. And yet we know personally, being people who are in many ways free from worldly oppression, that doesn't stop us from being slaves. Slaves to ourselves, to our sin. Christ comes not merely to save us from the exterior oppression of kings. He comes to save us from our own slavery to sin. Is this law that he brings with him as king, is it demanding? Yes, it demands everything of us. And yet, it simultaneously brings joy. We don't seek self-mastery as Christians. It's not what we seek. We're not seeking to master the five hindrances ourselves. That's a futile project. It's only God's grace that gives us the power to overcome those hindrances that our monk friend speaks of. He alone gives the strength to become the person that, say, Joe Rogan wants his kids to be and make sense of this otherwise meaningless and actually futile religious desire that we have. Jesus Christ is our king. And that's not something that restricts our freedom. It's actually the only road to true freedom. It increases it. You know, he doesn't come to be served, but to serve. He shows us what true kingship is. You know, St. Therese of Lisieux uses a similar la- image to the mountain. She talks about the ladder of perfection. And she sees how impossible it is to climb that ladder and so instead of giving up she just says Lord carry me up the ladder and the Lord carries her up the ladder don't be afraid to serve the Lord as your king for he does truly rule but not as an oppressor he rules as a friend and is, and is an intercessor for us So let us go forth and proclaim that true kingship in the world, that Jesus Christ is Lord and King of the universe.